Chapter 18 of The Princess and the Ploughman. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Princess and the Ploughman by Florence Morse Kingsley. Chapter 18. When Mary opened her eyes the next morning, she lay for a long time conscious of nothing save a sense of profound peace. Snow was falling silently past her window in great white feathery flakes and through it the pink light of morning was shining. The room in which she lay repeated these tones of pearl and rose in its white-shadowed ceiling, over which flickered wandering glints of pink, and in the garlands of faded flowers which shone dimly on its walls. All else was whiteness and immaculate purity, like the chambered recesses of a lily. In her waking dream she tranquilly watched the sidelong flight of the fugitive drift as it swept unceasingly past the clear pane with its half-drawn draperies of shadowy muslin. She had not yet roused to a realisation of her whereabouts, when a light step paused at her bedside, and Familia McKillany's kind, anxious face stooped over her. Mary's grey eyes flew wide, and she gazed at the woman wonderingly. "'Did you rest well?' inquired Miss McKillany, her soft contralto tones blending comfortably with the purring of the wood fire, which the girl, now fully awake, recognised as the source of the rosy reflections on the ceiling. Mary sat up in bed, her long red braids falling over her shoulders. I have rested so well, she murmured, that I am afraid it is very late indeed. Miss McKillany bethought herself in time to draw up her plump figure with dignity. I should not have disturbed you, Mistress Kent, she said, only that I saw your eyes were open. Has, has he come yet? asked Mary, with a timid flutter of her long lashes. No, madam, if you are meaning Master Hugh, he has not come, and he will not come today, nor yet tomorrow, if the storm continues, for the snow has filled the roads to choking. Whenever you are pleased to breakfast, madam, I will serve you. Will you do so before you rise? Mary shook her head. No, she said meekly. I should prefer to come down, please. Half an hour later she slowly descended the winding stairway and paused in the open door of the dining room. It presented a most cheerful appearance with its blazing hearth and its rows of scarlet geraniums glowing against the drifting snow without, like lesser fires. Miss McKillany presently entered followed by a stout red-cheeked country girl, bearing fragrant coffee, eggs, and delicately browned rolls peeping out from a fringed napkin. Her demeanour was polite but chilling, as she invited Mary to be seated at the little round table, drawn into comfortable proximity to the blazing logs. "'I shall be very glad,' said Mary, after an embarrassed silence, "'if I may see a timetable. I must return to the city immediately.' Miss McKillany promptly laid a folded paper before her, her air of strong disapproval deepening as she did so. "'You're not thinking of going before Master Hugh comes home?' she asked solemnly. A faint colour stole into Mary's pale cheeks. "'I should like to see him,' she said. "'That is why I came, but—' "'There's no trains running this morning, and I thank the Lord for it,' announced Familia conclusively. She searched the girl's downcast face with pitiless severity as she continued. There's words that I must say to you, Mistress Kent, before ever you leave this house. I have prayed God for the chance, and now that it has come, I'll not pass it by. Mary lifted her grey eyes to the woman's face, with a kind of sweet hardihood. I am quite ready, she said, to hear what you have to say. Pamelia drew a deep breath. He has no mother to speak for him, and no father, she began tremulously. The Lord has laid it upon me to say this to you, madam. You've wronged Master Hugh. You'll not be caring whether it be so or not. But I can see, who have seen him every day since his birth, that his heart is just slow breaking with the pain of it all. 
Familia lapsed into her father's Scotch brogue on the rare occasions when excitement got the better of her American-bred tongue. I do care, sighed Mary, with a troubled knitting of her white forehead. Aye, but how much do you care, mistress, went on Familia, her passionate tones deepening to an organ fullness. What is it to you that he neither eats nor sleeps as he once did, and that his face is sad at all times? When once it was contented and glad, I promised his mother on her deathbed that I would look after Master Hugh, and I must keep my word. Oh, I thought my task was well nigh over the day he was married to you. I said to father, on the day the young mistress comes home to bide, I said, you and I go to the cottage yonder, for I'll not interfere with the will of a lady wife, and I've lived here o'er long with everything under my hand to be like an ordinary servant. But here I am yet, in your place, mistress, in your place, and I'll ask you to tell me why. You wear his ring, you bear his name. Is his happiness, his life, naught to you? It is much to me, said Mary, in a low, shamed voice. Then tell me you'll not leave him again. Mary's fair face burned with painful blushes. You, you are cruel. You do not understand, she faltered. He has never asked me to stay. Miss McKillany shrugged her shoulders in a manner which revealed her Scotch temper dangerously near the surface. I don't pretend to understand the sort of marriage you made with Master Hugh, she said, with strong indignation. Tis true he made poor shift to explain to us about some institution of learning. Familia's scorn almost passed bounds at this. Situated in foreign parts, and of how he wished to help you keep for yourself a great sum of money. What's an institution of learning, I'll ask you, mistress? What's a great sum of money? To a true and holy marriage in the sight of God. Mary trembled to her feet. It is nothing nothing she cried in a stifled voice but i did not know it then her eyes brimmed over with large tears she made no effort to restrain them and they rolled shining over her pale cheeks pamelia leaned forward and eyed her unflinchingly these great sparkling tears did not touch her heart as they would have touched the heart of a man she knew from how shallow a source flowed the tears of many women and this one she did not know what think you of the tears of a man eh she asked in low vibrant tones ay you may weep mistress but i have seen the hard-wrung water of pain standing in his eyes more than once of late mary hid her quivering face from the woman's searching gaze oh she murmured brokenly i would die to save him pain but what can i do pamelia's rugged face slowly relaxed the puckers of wrath and strong indignation vanished from her brow then her face brightened in the strong sunshine of her smile God forgive me, she exclaimed softly. And to think I'm keeping you from your hot breakfast at this time with my foolish chatter. And the girl Nancy has brought you no strawberry jam as I bade her. There's a bit of fried chicken, too, keeping hot before the fire. Master Hugh will never forgive me if he finds you looking pale and spent as you do now, and you toiling through all the snow in the freezing weather. Miss McKillany hurried away with her apron to her eyes, leaving the girl to recover her vanished self-control. After Mary had breakfasted, duly waited upon by the now beaming and gracious Permelia, she was shown about the house in state. The cupboards, the china closets, the linen chests, with all their store of treasure, were opened wide for her inspection. Then the cellars, with their hoards of fruit, both fresh and preserved, the many-coloured vegetables in barrels and bins, and rows of plump rosy hams hanging from the rafters. After that, the best rooms, fragrant with spiced rose leaves, and the guest chambers in their immaculate purity and order. And, last of all, Master Hugh's room, littered with mute tokens of its absent owner. The faint colour in Mary's cheeks deepened to a glorious rose, 
when her eyes fell upon a picture of herself hanging on the wall at the foot of his narrow bed do you think she hesitated that he would like to have you to have me see all this miss mckillany fixed reproachful eyes on the girl did you suppose i would take any other woman into master hugh's rooms she asked nay madam but his wife her eloquent gesture completed the sentence mary blushed and sighed as her eyes roved timidly about the little room almost cell-like in its bareness and simplicity he is not one to prate over much of his feelings is master hugh went on pamelia quietly i mind when he went away to college he was an ambitious lad and fine at his books and his mother was that proud and fond of him so he went to cambridge as i said at the holidays he came home and he saw as i had not seen being with her all the time the change in his mother's face she was never a rugged woman and in those lonely months the white stillness which belongs to another world had somehow come upon her as you have seen a field in autumn all shining with the silver frost so it was with the madam very beautiful she was always but never more beautiful than in those days to my mind with her snow-white hair and her face white like a white flower in the sun and her eyes shining with unearthly light i'll not leave her again says master hugh and he kept his word i never knew how he persuaded her for she had i a keen ambition for her one son but he made some plan with his professors whereby he studied at his home going to cambridge now and again for lectures and the like but never spending a night away from her though he rose long before the sun and came home late at night oftentimes if you come down now to the library i'll show you all his books and where the madam sat while master hugh studied ay they were as happy as two lovers in those days and afterward he was not sorry that he had sacrificed his gay youth to her for he grew old and thoughtful beyond his years did master hugh i saw it and father saw it but she did not toward the last she wandered gently in her mind thinking he was her husband instead of her son you'll not leave me hugh she would say with the tears in her voice no dear he would answer i'll never leave you and again she would say i dreamed that you died hugh dear and that i was all alone but it was a foolish dream wasn't it a foolish foolish dream sweetheart he would say to her and then she would laugh gently and nestle close to his shoulder as he sat by her bed these be his books mistress kent set together on these four shelves he studied in them by the window yonder where the light is good and times the madam sat in the low chair at his side and other times as she grew weaker she lay on the couch drawn near him always near him i'll not soon forget the day he brought home his scholar's degree for he got it ay he got it mistress and you can see it hanging there but it stands for more than mere book learning i'm thinking and now if you'll be pleased to excuse me i must look to the maid nancy she is a good maid and willing i got her in the house the day of the wedding to train against the day of your homecoming madam you will find her ignorant and foolish about many things such as soap and the care of the drippings and the conserving of fruits but in the end she'll make you a good servant and for the matter of that i shall be no farther away than the farm cottage if you should need me left to herself mary sat quite still in hugh's study chair her eyes fixed dreamily on his hard-won bachelor's degree she was thinking of the frail dearly loved mother with hair like drifted snow and flower-like face to whom he had been son and lover in one unfalteringly faithful to the end then all on a sudden it seemed her soul but half awakened and still dreaming unfolded like the petals of a glorious rose into the full beauty of passionate womanhood she did not perceive the tall shadow that passed over the drift without nor hear the hushed voices of surprise and welcome at the door but his step on the conscious floor roused her from the reverie into which she had fallen 
mary he said and waited for her to speak i-i came to see you she stammered yes he breathed his sombre eyes were fixed upon her face with an inscrutable look which she dared not interpret she folded one white hand over the other and the dazzling snow-light glimmered on his ring you said i was to come to you when that is if i was in any trouble she said at last that is why i came i-i am i have been very unhappy he drew a hard breath you did right to come to me he said hoarsely after a difficult pause he went on won't you tell me mary what i can do to help you still she was silent and he saw her delicate fingertips whiten in the close grip of her tremulous hands mary he said his tones falling deep and compassionate on her shrinking silence there must be no foolish barriers of reserve between us now everything must be said that is to be said and then she half whispered the words you know what he said are you referring to my interview with jerome chantry mary he asked his voice suddenly cold and steady through all its pain yes she whispered her eyes entreated him he demanded your release mary in your name and i told him i would give it to you when you asked for it have you come here to ask me for that she did not answer she could not but he saw a blighting change pass swiftly over her face you need not ask mary he went on quietly you are free absolutely i am ready to sign any paper to do anything i had no right to lay the fetters of a loveless marriage upon your white soul nay there is no bond between us for my promise without yours is empty of all significance i know this now mary for i too have suffered but before you go away from me she had risen and was standing white and mute before him as if turned into a lovely image of snow i must tell you the truth for it is the only shadow of excuse i can offer for the injury i have done you i loved you mary from the first moment i saw you coming across the fields i loved you then i love you now and it is my dearest sorrow that i must love you for ever then once again he beheld the holy miracle of her virgin blush tinging the pallor of her downcast face with love's exquisite aurora mary he cried aloud in an anguish of entreaty she turned to him with all the glory of her womanhood shining in her eyes hugh i promise to love you to cherish you and forsaking all others to keep you till by death we are parted she said the solemn words slowly and unfalteringly and he knew in the deep places of his soul that his plighting of their truth was never to be interrupted by death but would endure on and on as a chord of celestial harmony which dawns out of the silence and returns to it again but is never wholly lost nor indeed can be for it bears within itself that which is eternal End of chapter 18 recording by julian prattley end of the princess and the ploughman by florence morse kingsley